Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Our leader neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our leader cannot be put in jail. Our leader is still on the job. Our leader is not dead. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Easter message. Our leader is not dead. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And because he lives, one day so shall we. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. One of the unique attributes of the Christian faith is that we can point to a moment in history when a revolution occurred. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are two historical events that forever changed our world and continue to transform our lives. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Our teaching this week is entirely focused on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And rightly so. Easter weekend is coming soon. Before we venture into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together, I have a serious message to share with you. Over the last few months, God has impressed upon me the urgency of our times. Pick any category, and it seems like our country's future is teetering on the brink of disaster. Without question, our only hope is embodied in the power of the cross. For these reasons and more, I'm devoted to taking the message of Pathway to Victory far and wide so that people around the world will embrace the power of the cross. What a privilege God has given us. We are ambassadors of the cross. In essence, we hand-carry this hope in Christ to a world that desperately needs Him. And so I come to you in boldness. I'm inviting you to join me in sharing the power of the cross to a waiting world. Please make today the day you join hands with Pathway to Victory. To thank you for your generous gift, I'm going to send you a package. It will include two of my favorite Easter messages on both CD and DVD, but that's not all. You'll also receive a beautiful olive wood cross that was handcrafted in Israel. This is a special limited-time offer, so please get in touch right away. You can do that right now by going to ptv.org. David and I will repeat these details later on, but right now, let's turn our attention to God's Word. I titled today's message, Jesus, the Passion and the Promise. What I want to do is talk about the reason that both the passion, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, his promise, are equally important, not just to theology, but to your life and to my life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, when you look throughout the Bible, the fact is both the resurrection and the death of Christ were treated as a part of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you see it? The gospel is both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's talk first about the passion of Christ, that is, his death. Jesus' life was not taken from him. 
Jesus' death was not the case of some bad men doing a really bad thing and killing Jesus. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus made this prophecy. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There's the resurrection. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Why did God do such a thing? To deliver his own son up for death? Because it was the only way to provide an atonement, a covering for our sin. What did the death of Christ accomplish for us? Certainly, it was an example of suffering. It was a payment for sins. It was a redemption from spiritual slavery. But equally important to Christ's death is his resurrection. Let me just mention four things about Christ's resurrection that make it a pivotal event for each one of us. First of all, Christ's resurrection was prophesied by Christ himself. This story of the resurrection, as liberals claim, was not some story that was added on by his followers decades later to make a good story better. No, it was a part of what Christ taught. This resurrection was prophesied by Christ. Secondly, it was proclaimed by the apostles. It was a part of their core teaching that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Go back to Peter for just a moment. Remember I talked about his sermon at Pentecost preached just weeks after the death of Christ? Here was Peter on the southern steps of the temple preaching to that group, that mob who had crucified Christ earlier. Listen to what he said, not just about the death, but the resurrection. Acts 2, beginning with verse 23. This man, Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus, God, raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. Now think about this. If the resurrection were simply fiction, if Jesus was still in that tomb, that crowd would have known about it. If the resurrection were simply fiction, they would have laughed Peter off those steps when he claimed a resurrection. But they didn't do it. Instead, the Bible says they were cut to the core of their heart by that message. And they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will be saved. And thousands of Jews responded that day to the gospel message. Why did they respond to it? Because the tomb was empty already. What I'm saying to you is this whole message of the resurrection wasn't added on years later. It was a part of the beginning teaching of the apostles. You know, one of the greatest, to me, single evidences of the truth of the resurrection is that miraculous metamorphosis that took place in the hearts of the disciples in over just a three-day period. Remember in the days leading up to the crucifixion, they almost all deserted Jesus, every one of them. They were trying to save their own skin. Remember Peter, he denied Christ not once, twice, three times in order to save his hide. And then suddenly, overnight, they were transformed from towering followers of Christ to courageous people who were willing to die for what they believed in the resurrection. What changed them? What changed them was they saw the resurrected Jesus. That's what changed them. 
I remember years ago watching a special on the life of Jesus. It was narrated by the late Peter Jennings from ABC News. Remember Peter Jennings? And he was talking to a liberal theologian who denied the truth of the resurrection. She didn't believe in a literal resurrection. And so Peter Jennings asked her the very pertinent question. He said, well, how do you explain this change that occurred in the disciples almost overnight? And almost laughed out loud. She said, well, they obviously saw something. <laughs> they saw something. They saw the resurrected Christ. And from that point on, it was the beginning. It was the core of their message the resurrection was prophesied by Christ. It was proclaimed by the apostles. Thirdly, it was proved by history. It was proved by history. Have you ever heard people say, well, it's just circumstantial evidence? Every lawyer here knows that circumstantial evidence can be pretty powerful and send somebody to the electric chair when it's all put together. Yes, it's circumstantial evidence, but when you put it all together, you come away with the truth that Christ was raised from the dead. In other Easter messages, I've talked about the historical evidence for the resurrection. For example, just consider the empty tomb. Jesus said he would be raised from the dead. His disciples proclaimed it, and guess what? It is a historical fact that the body of Jesus has not been found in 2,000 years. That's a historical fact. They are never going to find the body of Jesus because it is not there. He has risen from the dead. I mean, how do you explain that? Oh, people say, well, somebody stole the body. Really? Somebody stole the body? Who stole it? Well, the Romans and Jews. Somebody stole it. The Romans and Jews, they wanted to keep that body in the grave. They had a whole Roman guard unit to, uh, assigned to protect that grave. They didn't want the rumor getting started that he had, raised from, he had been raised from the dead as he promised. They had no motive to do it. They were on a manhunt to find the body so they could stop the Christian movement in its tracks. It wasn't the Roman officials. It certainly wasn't the Jewish officials. Somebody said, well, the disciples stole it. The disciples? They had abandoned Jesus. They were afraid for their own lives. You're telling me these cowardly disciples suddenly got the courage to overtake a 16-unit Roman guard unit and kill them and take the body of Jesus with them? Are you telling me they would die for a lie like that? Somebody says, well, people, religious extremists, they die for a lie all the time. Look at those Muslims and what they do. I mean, they're willing to die and blow themselves up for a lie. That's true, but they believe it's the truth. You see, that's the difference. People die for a lie all the time. No one ever dies for something they know is a lie. You just don't do that. That's not human nature. But these apostles were willing to die because they knew the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or think about this. Think about how early the story of the resurrection became a part of the Christian doctrine. It was a part of the doctrine from the beginning. You know, historians tell us, and this is so interesting to me, historians tell us that it takes anywhere from 80 to 100 years for a legend to corrupt historical truth. It takes about 80 to 100 years to corrupt fact with fiction. And the reason is obvious. You've got to wait till a couple of generations die off before you can start telling a fiction about a historical event. Let me illustrate that for you. Suppose that immediately after the death of Elvis Presley, in 1977, a group of Elvis's followers got together and said, you know, we want the king's memory to live on. We want his music to live on. 
So we're going to start the rumor that Elvis Presley uh, did not actually die and that he actually is alive and he's appearing in Walmarts regularly. <laughs> and we're going to call our new religion Presleyanity. And Presleyanity is built on the lie that Elvis Presley has risen from the dead. How far do you think that movement would go? I mean, the only people who believed that were the people, you know, who buy the supermarket tabloids for a few months afterwards. Today, nobody's even talking about Elvis, Elvis Presley. Imagine today, 40 years later, if somebody tried to start that movement. I mean, there's some of you watching day one, you don't even know who I'm talking about when I talk about Elvis Presley. <laughs> who? I mean, interest in Elvis hasn't increased in the last 40 years. It has diminished. You couldn't get that movement off the ground today if you tried, and nobody would die for a lie like that. Compare that to the Christian message. Immediately, the truth began being spread that he had risen from the dead. 500 witnesses saw him, and the movement grew and grew and grew and grew, and 2,000 years later, it is still growing because it is true that Christ has been raised from the dead. It has been proved by history. You may not know the name Sir Lionel Lacou, but according to the Guinness Book of World Records, he is the most successful trial attorney in history. He won 245 acquittals in murder cases. Most successful attorney in history, according to Guinness. He became a Christian. And so he decided that he would take the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and compare it to the strictest standards of legal evidence to see if the facts held up. Before he died, I want you to listen to what this gifted attorney said. He said, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Jesus Christ is alive. It was prophesied by Christ. It was proclaimed by the apostles. It's been proved by history. And finally, it has been promised to believers. The late Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, used to have a saying. He said, all politics are local. And by that, he meant the only thing people really care about, about politics, is how it affects their lives. You know, I'd say the same thing about theology. <laughs> all theology is local. The only theology you care about, and honestly, I care about, is theology that affects my life. So the question is, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually make to me? It answers that all-important question that Job asked. If a man dies, will he live again? When I close my eyes for the last time here on earth, do I just slip into nothingness? Or is there something on the other side of the grave? The resurrection of Jesus answers that. Because you see, the resurrection of Jesus was not just an isolated event. The Bible says his resurrection was a prototype of the resurrection of all who trust in him for salvation. Jesus promised the resurrection he experienced, you and I would experience one day if we place our faith in him. Death will not have the final word. And you find that promise to Jesus' followers all throughout Scripture. He made an absolutely bedrock guaranteed promise that those who trusted in him would have eternal life. I think of John chapter 5, 24. It's my dad's favorite verse of all time. He had it put on his gravestone. 
Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and shall not experience death, but is passed from judgment unto life. Or John chapter six, verse 40, Jesus said, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him has eternal life and I myself shall raise him up on the last day. Or John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Because Christ lives one day, those of us who trust in him will live again as well. That's what the resurrection means to us. Our nation acknowledged the 50th anniversary of the civil rights legislation that was signed into law by then President Lyndon Johnson. What many people don't realize or remember was, even after that legislation was signed, the movement, the civil rights movement was very fragile. African Americans did not receive their rights overnight. And that movement was very fragile a few years later in 1968, when the leader of that movement, Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated. Many people feared that his death and the riots that would ensue afterwards would completely undo the civil rights movement. And that's why Dr. King's funeral was such a critical and pivotal event. That day, there were a host of people who had been asked to give eulogies. One of those men was a man named James Bevel. And when his turn came, the heavy set beveled, mounted the podium, and his voice began to build like a thunderstorm in the distance. And this is what he said. You have heard that our leader is dead. That rumor is false. Our leader is not dead. Our leader was not Martin Luther King, he paused. He allowed his words to penetrate his audience. The words bruised the audience, hurt them. A murmur started in the crowd. Who is this man? What is he saying? Why is he adding insult to injury? What does he mean? Martin Luther King is not our leader. Bevel continued, our leader is the one who led Moses out of Egypt. There's the man, there's the man, somebody in the crowd shouted. Our leader is the one who went down with Daniel into the lion's den. Same man, same man, somebody else shouted. Our leader is the one who walked out of the grave on that Easter Sunday morning. Our leader neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our leader cannot be put in jail. Our leader is still on the job. Our leader is not dead. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Easter message. Our leader is not dead. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And because he lives, one day, so shall we. God be praised for a risen Savior. Now, in the quietness of this moment, I want everyone... I want you to be very, very attentive to what I have to say. But this is the most important time of our service, our invitation time.
Remember what I said, all theology is local. What does it mean to me that Jesus died and that he lived, that he was raised from the dead? Here's what it means. It means you don't have to wonder about your eternal destiny any longer. The fact is, we're all going to die, every one of us. We're all going to experience death. But we can experience life after death. Maybe you just felt like there's something missing in your life. Well, that something missing is your relationship with God. You were created for that relationship. Maybe you would say, Pastor, if I were to die right now, I'm not sure God would take me into heaven. Look, eternity's too long to be wrong. God wants you to be sure. The Bible says right now you can open your heart. You can receive the free gift of the forgiveness of your sins. You you don't need a pastor like me to tell you you've messed up, you've sinned. We all have. The Bible says we deserve to be separated from God for all eternity because of our sin. The good news is God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He paid the ultimate price for your sin by sending his son Jesus to die to take the punishment that you and I deserve. And today, if you would like to receive that gift of eternal life, I'm gonna invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. You're not praying it to me, you're praying it to God. But God's listening, the one who created you, the one who loves you. Today, if you will open up the hands, your spiritual heart to God, he will give you the gift of eternal life. Well, what do I say to God? I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. If you would like to become a Christian today, pray this prayer silently in your heart as I pray it out loud. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know that I have failed you in so many ways and I'm truly sorry for the sin in my life. But I believe what I've heard today, that you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And right now, I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, not my good works, but what Jesus did for me to save me and to forgive me of all of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me as you promised. And now help me to start spending the rest of my life following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus taught us that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. And as you take this step of faith today, we're rejoicing with you as well. At Pathway to Victory, we take great delight in leading listeners and viewers to the Savior. Not long ago, I received a note from Paula who said, Dr. Jeffress, I've not gone to church for a while, but I've been listening to Pathway to Victory, and I'm ready to commit myself to God and trust Him through all my trials. Paula, you've taken the first step on your Pathway to Victory, and we're so pleased to hear about it. And if you're among those who have invested financially in this ministry, either as a Pathway partner or through a one-time gift, Paula's decision represents the outcome of your generosity. Yes, she heard my voice on this program, but it was your gift that sponsored this sacred moment for Paula. Pathway to Victory is fueled by those who give voluntary gifts. 
For just a few more days, I'm saying thanks for your generous gift by providing a package of exclusive gifts. First, I'm going to send you two of my favorite Easter messages on CD and DVD. But I'm also sending you a one-of-a-kind token of my appreciation. It's a gorgeous olive wood cross that was handcrafted in the Holy Land. Now, this isn't a lucky charm we're sending you to rub when you pray. No, this is a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for you. And it's a reminder to thank Him daily for His incomparable gift of forgiveness. If it's been a while since you've been in touch with Pathway to Victory, or maybe you've never given to this ministry, please make today the day. You will become a partner with us in bringing the power of the cross to a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. Here's David to tell you more. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you contact Pathway to Victory today with a generous gift, we'd like to send you the Power of the Cross teaching set featuring two favorite Easter messages from Dr. Robert Jeffress to inspire and encourage you in this Easter season and all year round. Plus, you'll also receive a beautiful olive wood cross small enough to carry with you as a reminder of what God has done in your life. Call us toll-free, 866-999-2965. That's 866-999-2965. Or give online at ptv.org. Thank you so much for giving generously. Your gift will help us share the transforming power of the cross with multitudes across our nation and the world. If you prefer to write to us, here's our mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time for a powerful message from Luke chapter 22, It's called The Longest Night. That's coming up Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.